Welcome to Mission Uplift. This is Jen, and I'm so grateful you stopped by today. This past Monday, Mission Uplift launched Uplifting Advent, our very first live teaching series on YouTube. And guys, what an evening it was, seriously. I am excited to share some of Uplifting Advent with you today. In the liturgical tradition, Advent is the reminder of the sacred meaning of Christmas. It's a time of expectant waiting where we prepare our hearts for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. I felt especially drawn to really dive into Advent this year, more so than in the past, and particularly its emphasis of preparation, not only the preparing of our hearts for Christmas, Christmas in 2020, but the preparation of Christ's return and how we find ourselves in the tension of the in-between of already and not yet. I've never been more thankful for Advent. And after a year like we've had, it really means so much more to me. I'm glad that we can share this journey and experience. On Monday nights throughout Advent, on the Mission Uplift YouTube channel, we will hear live teaching from friends of mine, Christian Williams, Brandy Benson, and Angela Sirocco. And on the podcast throughout December, I'm sharing portions of Uplifting Advent with you. This past week was on hope. And wow, Christian shared a powerful and a very transparent message on the battle for hope. I cannot even begin to explain how much of a blessing it was, a timely blessing to me and a number of others. Before I share her message with you, let me tell you a little bit about Christian. Christian Williams is just a girl trying to laugh while she follows Jesus. A grad of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, she went on to earn a Master of Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. Christian yearns for people to press hard into the freedom and joy of trusting Jesus in all things and is deeply committed to making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ultimately, she wants to see believers know and love their neighbor because they know and love Jesus. Christian currently serves on staff at Christ Community Church as the Director of Women's Discipleship in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where she gets to equip women to own their place within the body of Christ through rootedness in scripture, intentional relationships that sharpen them as image bearers, and service to the church and to the city. She's also the co-host of the Bad Seminarians podcast. Things that give her life are conversations, friendships, baking desserts and eating desserts, and creating content. And you can always hear her singing. And today, you will hear her preaching. Check out Uplifting Advent, The Battle for Hope. Jen, thanks for inviting me to be part of this. It was something that I needed. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I've known Jen for a long time. And she is one of my deepest, closest friends. And I call her all the time when I need prayer, when I need encouragement, just to talk. Um, she, her friendship has been a bomb to my soul. So I am incredibly blessed and grateful to know her. Um, as Jen said, I'm going to be talking about the battle for hope. And the reason why I decided on this was originally when we were, um, as a team were walking through and planning what we were going to talk about, I was going to get super theological and we we're going to talk about the first and coming second of Christ and how our hope is in Jesus as our great high priest. Like we were, we were gonna dive deep into that. But honestly, um, that take on this topic 
was a little bit too hard for me. Putting this message together was a struggle because I am currently battling hopelessness and I don't feel all that hopeful. And so real talk, I just didn't feel like talking about the super Christianese aspect of our hope being in Jesus. And I really wanted to tackle it from a different angle. And once I kind of yielded to the spirit of God and also called Jen today, um, it, it kind of gave me the path, the path to take. So like I said, it was a struggle. And if you're, and the question that came to me was, what would I say to somebody who was, who was battling for hope? We all find ourselves in moments and seasons and situations in pits of despair where it seems like we're in it by ourselves, where not only does it seem like there's no escape, but it seems like there's not even cause to hope. But because we are professors in the life, the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are, as Paul says in Thessalonians, Thessalonians, not a hopeless people. And so it brought me to the question of, why is the battle for hope necessary? Because we want it to be something that is ever present and hope is not something that is ever present if we're just gonna be real and honest about it. So the text we're gonna look at tonight is in Psalms 34. Um, Psalm 34, just three little verses plucked out of that Psalm. Um, beginning with verse 17, I'm gonna read it aloud. Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, those crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Psalm 34, um, just get, get, get a little bit of context. David pens Psalm 34 when he's on the run from Saul. Saul is determined to kill David. David is slain Goliath. The women are singing and dancing in the streets, praising David. His fame is growing. And Saul begins to have a spirit of enviousness that comes upon him. And so much so that he seeks to kill David, this hero that God has raised up to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Saul, the king of Israel, seeks to kill him. And so on the run from Saul alone, David finds himself a fugitive. He finds himself an outlaw. He finds himself a refugee. And on the run by himself, he first seeks refuge um, before the Philistine king, who, like I said, the Philistines were the enemy of Israel. So the situation has gone through so much hopelessness and despair that David finds himself seeking refuge with the enemy. But fearing that it may be unsafe, fearing that this sought of refuge might lead him even to more pits of despair and death, because remember, he's also on the run again. He pretends to be insane before the king that he might escape. And his escape route, is to go and hide in a cave. And if this is not a situation of hopelessness and despair, I don't know what is. The situation David finds himself in seems hopeless. He has to leave his family, his friends, his status, his homeland, all of that behind. It's just him and the Lord. And the answer to hopelessness is not to pull ourselves up by the, our bootstraps, to wheel ourselves into hope and joy, as we're oftentimes told by the culture. Just push through, just press in, just keep going, just keep trying, just get up out of bed every morning, even when you feel like you can't. That's not the answer. 
When we find ourselves in seasons of hopelessness, from unmet expectations to grief and disappointment to the sorrow of death, hope doesn't come easy. If it did, we wouldn't have to hear time and time again from our Lord in scripture that our hope is in Jesus to remind ourselves to hope, to hope, to hope. If hope came easy, we would not be constantly needed to be reminded to hope. Hope is not the fleeting or buried feeling of being happy. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is a varied emotion that, sh that shifts like, as, like the wind blows. But hope is the assurance and expectation of what will come to pass, that God will bring peace into the world and set everything right, no matter the circumstance, no matter how we feel, no matter um, how life comes and goes like a blade in the grass. Hope is the consistent foundation that God is sovereign and in control of the universe. But then there's life. There's fear and there's failure and there's people who wish and seek to do you harm like Saul does David. And with life comes doubt and shame and anger and grief. And it's in those times when we're left battling for hope. And the question becomes, what do we do? When I was trying to figure out what I was gonna say, when I was praying about it, when I was calling Jen, when I was calling my mom, uh, when I was doing all these things, I was trying to come up with something, you know, fantastical and profound to answer this question of how do we battle for hope? But I landed just on two points and that is that we lament and we trust. That's it, lament, trust and repeat. That's the only answer I got. In this psalm, it says the righteous cries out and the Lord hears them. There's this narrative that the goal of the Christian life is, is to escape, that God's going to rescue us to heaven, that Jesus is our golden ticket to the pearly gates. But the goal of the Christian life is not to escape grief and despair. Jesus himself said in John 16 that we will have trouble. We will have trouble. Trouble comes. Suffering comes. Weeping comes. That's promised to us by Jesus. But then Jesus tacks on the end of that. He says, take heart because I've overcome all that. The goal of the Christian life is not to escape, escape grief and despair. It's not happiness. So what do we do when grief and despair comes, when we find ourselves unable to get out of bed in the morning? The righteous cry out because the Lord hears. God is not afraid, nor is he ill-equipped to handle our grief, to handle our fear, to handle our rage. We see that with Job. When Satan comes to test Job and everything possibly that could go wrong happens to Job. Everything that's my worst imaginations, my worst fears happens to Job. And Job goes before God and he said, why is this happening to me? God doesn't bow out like, I don't know, homie. I don't know what the problem is, man. Satan is really trying it. Nah. God steps in and he says, I'm the creator and sustainer of the universe. I am the creator and sustainer of the universe. God is the one who speaks life into existence. God is the one who holds hearts of individuals, of kings in his hand. God is the one who knew you in your mother's womb. That God could never be afraid or ill-equipped to handle 
your hopelessness. That's why Paul says in Romans, what can ever separate me from the love of Christ? Neither death, nor life, nor things to come, nor things present, nor angels, nor principalities will ever be able to separate me from the love of Christ. God is not afraid, nor is he ill-equipped to handle your hopelessness. And that's why he tells us to cast our cares on him. That's why it says in Psalms 55 that the Lord is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. That's why Jesus says in Matthew, come to me all who are burdened and weary because I will give you rest. When we are hopeless, God says, lament to me. There's this, there's this thing that we tell people, you know, stop crying. It's not that bad. People have it worse than you do. God never says that to us. God never says, don't cry. God says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God never says get over it. He says, cast your cares upon me. God tells us not to suppress our hopelessness. He tells us, I can handle it. Bring it to me. The problem is, as people, we want to handle it ourselves. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this all the time. In Genesis chapter three, where when Eve and Adam eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's because they want to be like God. But as we all know, people, humans, we fail. We disappoint one another. Sin has infected our relationships with one another. And God says, yo, maybe your friends can't handle this lament, but I can. The spirit of God is moving and active in the world. The spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit dwells on the inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, as, as Jesus told his disciples when he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to send the comforter. So what do we do when we feel hopeless? We lament. We don't get over it. We don't move past it. We take our grief. We take our sorrow. We take it all and we lay it at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus died, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just take your sin. He took your shame. He took your humiliation. He took your insecurities. He took your deepest fears. He took your inadequacies. He took inadequacies. He took everything about you that makes you feel less than, that makes it feel makes it all feel like it's worthless. He took all of that to the cross. I remember when I was talking with um, someone who's much wiser <laughs> than I am, and I was working through trauma and shame, and I didn't know how to make sense of a hard thing in my life. And he said to me, why can't you let Jesus have this? Why can't you let Jesus have this? The psalm says that God is near to the brokenhearted and those crushed in spirit. He didn't say get it together. He said be broken. Be finite. Be human. 
But let the God who holds all things together be close to you. So what do we do in hopelessness? We lament. And not only do we lament, we trust. Part of being Christ-like is trusting God with the stuff that we don't like, the stuff that's hard, the stuff that pains us, the stuff that shames us. I'm reminded when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's he's feeling the full brunt of temptation. He's feeling the full weight of what he has to do for humanity. So much so that his body is having an avid physical reaction. Scripture says that Jesus began to sweat blood, which is a physical, is a biological response to ridiculous trauma. In the garden, and he asks God, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. Jesus doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to experience the weight of what's necessary for sacrifice, for atonement. But he trusts God with his fear, with his discomfort, with the shame, with the pain, with the violence of what's coming. He trusts God. Just as much as Christ in the garden is an example of what it means to give up oneself to the will of the Father, it is also an example of deep lament, of deep grief and sorrow and pain and fear. And in those moments where you're sweating blood, God asks, trust me. Trust me because I can take it. Trust me because I can handle it. We can trust God with our hopelessness, with our hopelessness because he is faithful from the beginning pages of scripture. Genesis 3, he tells them, yo, a savior is coming. And he keeps his promises. As it says in Philippians, he who begins a good work within you is faithful to complete it. God is faithful. Ever faithful. No matter what it looks like to us, no matter what our human sighted short vision sees. I once told somebody. I can barely remember what I ate yesterday let alone can predict what's going to happen five seconds from now. My vision as a human is incredibly limited and short-sighted. But God not only has an overhead view, he has an expansive, deep, intimate view of the past, the present, and the future at all times, and he holds it within himself, the author and perfecter of our salvation. He is faithful. And because ultimately our hope isn't in ourselves, but it's in Jesus, it's in Jesus, the one who took on flesh, the one who humbled himself to the point of death, the one who took all of that to the cross and died for you. 
because our hope is in him, our great high priest, because our hope is in him who the prophet spoke of before, that he is wonderful, that he is a counselor, that he is God, Emmanuel, that he is God with us. We can trust God. He can handle it. And when we're hopeless, God, God is not only faithful because and he's not only someone we can trust, but he provides. Maybe not the solution, the fix that we want, that we see. I oftentimes do this. I'll be like, God, if you just do this, then I can be happy. God, if you can just do this, then I can trust you a little bit more. God, if you can just do this, all my problems will be solved. God provides maybe not the fix that we want, but he finds he provides peace and joy and love and healing and all the things that we as humans need but oftentimes don't want. I want a band-aid half the time. I don't want to press into what God is doing half the time. But God is saying, if you want wholeness, if you want redemption, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want hope, trust me, I got that. So what do we do when we find ourselves in hopelessness? We lament and we trust, but how do we do that? How do we do that? We remember who God is. We remember that the same God who spoke creation into existence, the same God who breathed life into Adam, the same God who took a rib from that man and created a woman, the same God who rose up a people unto himself so that they might bear his image into the world, the same God who delivered his people out of slavery and brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey, the same God who protected them from their enemies in the land of Canaan and consistently raised up prophets and judges and kings, the same God who preserved his people in the exile, the same God who preserved his people for 400 years of silence from prophecy, the same God who took on flesh and entered into our world, the same God who died for you and me, we remember that God, that God who hasn't left us as orphans, who hasn't left us alone in the world, but has sent the comforting and dwelling power and presence of his Holy Spirit. We remember who he is. We remember that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he is bringing all things to completion. Not only do we remember who God is, but we remember who we are. We remember that we are sons and daughters of the living God, bought with a price, predestined from the foundations of the world to inherit what is in Christ Jesus. We remember that we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We remember that we are blessed going in and coming out. We remember that we are the head and not the tail. We remember that our father owns the cattle that's on a thousand hills. We remember who we are in the midst of persecution, in the midst of despair, in the midst of grief, in the midst of sorrow. We remember that that God has called us to himself. And we rely on the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit lives in you. The spirit of God is consistently and constantly moving throughout the world, drawing people to himself, that God. We rely on the powerful workings of his spirit. This has been a rough day for me. I, this morning I laid in bed and I had to pray to God for the energy to get out of it. 
I didn't feel like saying nothing fantastical. <laughs> I didn't feel like showering. I didn't feel like doing any of that. I laid in bed and I said, God, help me get up to take a shower to go to work. Because I'm battling hopelessness. And it is a comfort to me. What I would say to someone who's in this season like I am, I would say, God can handle your hopelessness. So lament and trust and do it all over again. The battle for hope is ongoing. It's not a stagnant moment in time. It's never a one and done. It is a consistent, continuous process as we are being formed into the knowledge and image of our creator that we lament, that we trust and repeat. You can't hustle for hope. It is only something that comes through trusting God and sorrow. Because our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in that God will fix the temporal. But it's in the greater, grander story of what God is doing. As the author and center of his story, he's making all things beautiful. He's making his majesty and glory known throughout the world. So we battle for hope. We battle for hope. We battle for hope. Because it tells the story of our great God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are concerned about the intimate aspects of our daily lives, that you are concerned about the hopelessness that we feel, that you never ask us to stop our grief, that you never ask us to keep going on our own steam and to rely on ourselves, but you ask us to pursue a desperate dependence on you because you are working things out for our good, for our ultimate good. We trust you for hope, for peace, for love. We trust ultimately in the resurrection that you are bringing all things to a beautiful and glorious end. These things I ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit, I pray. Amen. Lament, trust, repeat. Guys, I have listened to Christian's message a number of times since Monday, and I glean something new each time. This word on hope was more timely than any of us even knew it would be, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share it with you here. I encourage you to connect with Christian, follow her on social media, subscribe to her podcast, send her a word of encouragement. Let's uplift our uplifter friend. And feel free to check out Uplifting Advent on YouTube. It was an hour of great conversation and encouragement. We also have an Uplifting Advent gift available to you to download. In addition to info about the series, we give you access to a free Christmas devotional written by my parents, Steve and Allison Roth a link to a group Bible reading plan of the Gospel of Luke throughout December, resources from our night of games, gifts, and gratitude, which you can still watch on YouTube. It was hysterical. Shout out to John and Monique Collado, Chris and Daniela Rivera, and Laz and Stephanie Reyes for bringing all the fun. We also have an uplifting Advent Spotify playlist with 40 songs of worship for the Advent season. All of that is available for you to download, so check out all the links in the show notes. Week two of Uplifting Advent is on Monday, December 7th at 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern. And our friend, 
Brandy Benson is talking about peace. I know it's going to be another phenomenal evening. I encourage you to subscribe to the Mission Uplift YouTube channel so you get a notification when we go live. And please join us live so you can participate and interact in the chat. Thanks for stopping by today. I'm praying that you can embrace the words that Christian shared and experience the hope of Jesus as you lament, trust, and repeat. Until next time.